Welcome to The Barrel Banter, a show covering all things Milwaukee Brewers. From trades to signings, player analysis to game recaps, or discussing uniforms, ballpark food, and everything in between. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Goh. Hello and welcome to The Barrel Banter. I'm your host, Peter Goh, and I'm alongside David. David, welcome to the show today. We do have a meaningless stat. We're carrying that over into the barrel banter, and it comes from Jonathan Davis, the legendary Brewers center fielder who is now a free agent. Jonathan Davis hit 308 when leading off an inning in 2022, which is pretty impressive considering that he hit less than 308 when not leading <laughs> off an inning. I don't know what it was, to be honest. I think 306, 307, somewhere somewhere in there, right around the same batting average. I think that, unfortunately, Lorenzo Cain had in his short 22 campaign. Isn't it weird to think that Lorenzo Cain was part of the 2022 Brewers? It does feel like a long time that, that Cain was with the, the team. Yeah, almost as long as uh, Josh Hader. I couldn't, uh, couldn't but uh, tear up just about after seeing Josh Hader strike out none other than, of course, Freddie Freeman as the, Do- excuse me, as the Padres closed out the Dodgers. Uh, pretty shocking to see Padres Phillies in the NLCS, man. And to think that the Phillies almost missed the playoffs if the Brewers would have handled their business against the Marlins and some other teams is pretty crazy. But uh, what have you, any, any big things that you've seen from the playoffs? Obviously it's been a surprise a bit to see Padres and Phillies. And we already know, of course, Houston is awaiting the winner of the other ALDS series, but what's been the biggest surprise for you this postseason so far? It has been the upsets. You you talked about that a little bit, but five out of the seven series that have been completed so far have been upsets. We saw three of the four wild card series. We saw now three of the four, or excuse me, two of the three completed division series have been upsets. And it especially is notable because it's the first year of the expanded postseason. We do have six teams now. So what impact does that have on teams when they're taking five days off with a buy, is that an advantage? Is it a disadvantage? I think it's something that you don't really know until you try it. Not against MLB for trying it, but I think maybe this isn't the best system. And I don't know that you go back to the drawing board already after just one year of the playoff structure, but perhaps it's something that maybe won't be as long-term as we think. And that's, that's really what has been the most notable thing so far. Yeah. I think that personally, I, I, I have enjoyed the the playoff structure. I think it's it's too early to say that there'd be any issues with it. And I think that I've gotten, of course, obviously our sample size is a handful of series at this point with the wild card series, having the home team at home for all three games. I'm a big fan of that, but that obviously didn't seem to help too much. Um, we still saw several upsets as well. So I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's just one of those, one of those years and uh, we'll see that normalized over the next couple of years. But it is a little bit strange. No Brewers, of course, in the playoffs make it a lot less fun. And uh, I feel a lot, a lot less of a need to continue watching the games. But there have been some good ones, that's for sure, especially the 18-inning uh, marathon game over in Seattle. That was a good one to see. And then if you stayed on and, and finished Yankees Guardians Saturday night, those were some two good finishes um, as well. So it's been a good playoffs. I think I'm excited to see what the format looks like as we continue. But I feel like we have to reintroduce ourselves now. We, of course, are the Barrel Banter, now formerly known as the Bleeding Blue and Yellow Podcast. And Dave and I, we've been doing this podcast now. David, I was looking. It's been almost two and a half years 
um, that we've been been recording podcasts just about every week on the Brewers, which is uh, a little bit shocking that it's been that long. Our first podcast was, I believe, when Garrett Mitchell was drafted, and Garrett Mitchell made his debut this year, mm-hmm. which is really bizarre to think about that we've been doing it all the time that uh, that he's been getting up in through the system. This is also our first video podcast, so we'll be continuing to grow um, as we try to build out um, the content and the value that we provide on on the Brewers. David, you've been doing a lot on on Twitter, on YouTube. Why don't you share a little bit about yourself and some of the things that you're doing for the barrel? Yeah. Um, I mean, we always say that uh, he always tells calls me David only. David Go, we're brothers, Peter and, and I. So I don't know if that's come up. It probably has come up at some point on the show that we're brothers. We're lifelong Brewer fans, both from the Milwaukee area. And currently I play baseball at a college down in Arkansas. So that's where I where I record from. And I'm a I'm a pitcher here. Um, actually, I, I have surgery coming up. So um, I'm having Stephen Matt's surgery. I was trying to find a player that I could call <laughs> who had the surgery, like the blank surgery. Like, of course, we have Tommy John surgery, but it doesn't it doesn't quite sound the same to listeners when I say I'm having ulnar nerve transposition surgery. So anyways, having that coming up, it shouldn't take me away from the podcast, but there's a chance it will briefly. And yes, I've been doing a lot of work on our YouTube channel. You can find us at The Barrel on YouTube. I have a couple of breakdowns, longer videos, 10, 10 to 12 minutes. The first one I, I put out was this summer called The Brewers Successfully Failed Their Rebuild. And the topic was that the Brewers had a number of top position player prospects and they intentionally hoarded the, the high-end prospects as hitters. Corey Ray, Lewis Brinson, Isan Diaz, Orlando Arcia even. And in hopes that they would turn out, they would be the core, and then they could develop pitching later or acquire pitching. And then what they did with the pitchers was they decided to uh, to kind of acquire them in bulk and not get the high end pitchers, but get the like the the decent arms, the, the second, third, fourth round arms, and develop them and hope that maybe a couple panned out. And of course, they certainly did. The Brewers, um, especially last year, on the heels of their pitching, won the division. So I talk about how they failed it, but they succeeded at the same time. So that's the first video. The more recent one has to do with the 2021 rotation, that it was it was the most improbable that we've seen this century, so since 2000, really, across all of baseball with the way that the Brewers were able to take pitchers who did not have much success going into the 2021 season, the 2020 season maybe, and guys that were young, inexperienced, and also just weren't even paid that much and how they were able to take them and and really ride that success to a division championship. So check out those two videos on YouTube. I spent a lot of time on those. I have a few recaps that I guess are outdated now at this point, but but kind of seeing what sticks and what people like on YouTube. And I'm also more active on our Twitter account at the Barrel MKE, just posting highlights on this day in 2018. Those have been the most popular ones lately, birthdays, different notable things. So you can be sure to uh, to keep up with us there. I usually post at least once a day. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun to see that and get more interaction with all of you listeners as well, especially on Twitter, but also on YouTube. We've had uh, we've had several Cardinals fans uh, commenting on on YouTube videos. So I guess that uh, that means we're getting out there a little bit more, which is good. I have to say I was pretty happy to see them uh, with, a, with a quick exit in the playoffs this year, besides the fact that uh, 
the Pujols, Wainwright, Molina combination. But besides that, happy to see them exit early. And David, like you said, brothers who have been doing this for two and a half years. Uh, but uh, I think before we actually officially had the podcast, we've been doing this for, I don't know, how old are you? 18, 19, just about your entire life we've been doing this. Um, just without the, the podcast microphones for the majority of our lives. Could have just probably done this uh, every night growing up, but it really enjoyed being able to do this um, and uh, get getting the chance to do that. So that's really, that's really us. And uh, again, happy to uh, excited to be rebranding ourselves as the barrel banter today. So David, we're going to hold off our normal trivia question and random player of the day to the end of the podcast so that we can get into a couple off season topics. I'm excited to hear your thoughts here at some upcoming free agents. The Brewers have not necessarily a ton of free agents that the Brewers have, but a couple of key players that'll impact what they decide to do for um, the rest of the, the off season and what the roster looks like. So let's just go one, by one here at the free agents. Let's start with the Brewers' primary backstop coming into the 2021 season, who was coming off of, excuse me, 22 season, coming off of his um, excellent 2021 first half, at least, campaign, uh, Omar Narvaez. So what are your thoughts on, on Narvaez and whether we see him in a Brewer uniform next year? I think it's pretty unlikely that we see him in a Brewer's uniform in, in 2023. He had a very good 2021 season, especially in the first half, but really in, in the second half last year, and then especially this year, he just wasn't there. He became he became a better defender throughout the course of his Brewers tenure, but he just doesn't make up for it enough with the bat. So, I mean, if you look at, at the season numbers, offensively, catching isn't the most important position. You're not necessarily looking for a bat-first catcher typically, but he also did still hit 206, slug just 305, which is uh, quite bad even for a catcher. Caratini was a little bit better than that. So, I mean, even if the Brewers decide that they only want to keep one of the two, Caratini will almost for sure be the other with him being still in arbitration. So I think it's unlikely we see Narvaez back. He was an all-star in 2021. I don't know how many catchers the Brewers have had who have been all-stars, but not too many. I would guess no more than no more than three or four others. So I think it's 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 maybe notable to point out that he did have some success with the Brewers and not just harp on his his poor 2022. But the reality is he probably won't be back in part because of his his bad 2022 season, especially at the plate. Yeah, there's a lot of guys out there who you can replace quite easily uh, when when you have an offensive production like Narvaez did. Like you said, he was excellent in the first half of 21, which. Uh, was unfortunate that it was really that was about the only time frame we saw the bat there um, in a meaningful way from Narvaez, and so I would agree. I think it's likely we see the Brewers opt for another option because um, there's just not that that's not just not that difficult to replace the production he put up last year, uh, probably at a cheaper rate as well. So how about Jace Peterson, obviously versatile player that the Brewers have been happy to have for the last couple of years. Not a lot of high expectations, but turned into a valuable piece. Do you see? Brewers bringing back Peterson next year? I think similar to Narvaez, the answer would be no, but I think the reasoning is a little bit different. Peterson was quite good until he got hurt in, I think it was late July, early August timeframe. But when he came back, he was bad. He, he played through a pretty significant elbow injury. I believe it was a torn UCL or a partial tear in his UCL, but his end of end of season numbers, he was about an average hitter with actually pretty good defensive production and versatility. So he's a valuable player. 
I don't know that they're going to keep him, but it's more because of the the players they have already positionally with versatility and especially in the infield. They have Mike Brasso, who got a good amount of playing time this year and I think could perhaps even get a little bit more. He can play second. He can play third, first, left, right, really the positions that Jace Peterson plays. And the bigger the bigger player that factors into this is Bryce Turing, who I expect to be up probably on opening day, if not very soon after the uh, the 2023 opening day, because he's a guy who really has nothing left to prove at AAA. He's had a couple good years there, and I think he's ready. He's 20, 23 years old already, can play short, better than, than Peterson, better than Brasso. He can play second. He can play third. I don't know if he'll be a regular at the big league level, but I think he could be at the at the least a very valuable utility man. And re-signing Jace Peterson really prevents Bryce Turing from being able to take that next step. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I like really what you shared was a good breakdown of that. Uh, Turing, but the other thing I like about it is that it's not just Turing because like you said, Barrasso's there as well. So even if Bryce Turing has a terrible year and he's not playable offensively, at the big league level, well, the Brewers have other options. It's not the end of the world. The thought of the Brewers spending money on Jace Peterson versus some of these other guys we'll talk about or other potential free agents, I think there's there's better um, better value to be had from those other positions. So I think this one's probably a pretty easy one. Probably can be pretty quick. Andrew McCutcheon, I think there was a lot of excitement coming into the season. I mean, anytime you get a, a former MVP, it's not often that you, you sign a former MVP when you're a Brewers fan, but uh, wasn't quite to the MVP level or far from it, uh, will we see Kutch return to a Brewers uniform next year? Well, he is Andrew McCutcheon, as Mark Atanasio would say. Um, the David Stearns in his post-game press conference said that he that that the Brewers will will stay in contact with Andrew McCutcheon, uh, but that's usually what I say to someone that I don't intend on staying in contact with. I'll, I'll say, yeah, I'll, I'll stay in contact with you. So. Whether that applies at the uh, the major league level or not, I'm not sure. But it didn't sound too inspiring. It didn't seem like a we really thought that Andrew produced very well and we hope to have him back. It wasn't that. It was, we'll stay in contact with him, stay in touch. So maybe David Stearns accepted Andrew McCutcheon's Facebook request, friend request, and they are now friends. Maybe Maybe that's their way of staying in touch. I'm not exactly sure, but I don't think it's likely we see him back. And I think I speak on behalf of nearly all Brewers fans when I say nothing against Andrew McCutcheon, but he's just not a good fit for the ball club. And I, I, I hope he doesn't come back in, in 2023. Yeah, well, and, and just think about it positionally when you look at the depth chart. I mean, the Brewers outfield now looks different than it did going into last year as well with Garrett Mitchell's arrival. So the Brewers now have Yelich, Garrett Mitchell, Hunter Renfro. You've got Asturi Ruiz knocking on the door. You've got Freelich, Weimer. So I, I don't see a lot of uh, reason for McCutcheon to be there. And I know that he spent majority of the time DHing. But again, Keston here, uh, I think, showed that he can at least provide some value, especially now that the DH spot is an option for him. And so I, I would agree there's not a lot of reason to bring back Andrew McCutcheon, especially the way he hit against lefties. That was really the big value. I was excited to see him hit against lefties this year. I was expecting much, much bigger things. But Certainly wasn't the case. Uh, probably a relatively quick one as well, based on his performance last year. Taylor Rogers, uh, not much more to say about the season that he had. We will have a, our grading of relievers coming up here, so you'll get to hear a little bit more about our, our thoughts on Rogers. But 
is Trevor Rogers, excuse me, Taylor Rogers, likely to return in a Brewers uniform? Um, I will let you answer that one for yourself. I, <laughs> I, I don't really see any reason why they would. I, Not I so. mean, I guess if they say, "Hey, he's coming off a bad year," but, but I mean, he was just really bad. I, I yeah. don't see it happening, and no, I don't think I, anyone I else really does. No, I for some I, reason I, he didn't get that. Stearns didn't get that question at the the press conference. Or maybe yeah, he did, and it just wasn't notable enough. He, he said, I will decline Taylor Rogers' friend request. <laughs> Something like that. I, I, I must have missed that part uh, when I watched it. But, uh, yeah, I think enough said on that one. But this one, I think, is – I saved this one for last because I think is the most intriguing, and I think we may even differ a little bit on this. We've talked about this uh, off the mics a little bit. Colton Wong, Brewer's second baseman, I think, like I said, most intriguing uh, of the players – uh, Wong does have an option to return. So that's the question of do the Brewers pick up the option? Uh, what are the terms of the Brewers option with Colton Wong and what's the likelihood and your preference on whether the Brewers pick that up? The Brewers hold a $10 million option on Colton Wong. If they want to bring him back, he's got a one and a half million dollar buyout. If the Brewers decide to decline Wong's option. So the way I see it, it's kind of on the bubble. If you get Wong's production that he had this year in 2022, absolutely worth $10 million or really $8.5 million since that's the difference. But will he be that player in 2023? And will he maybe prevent further development or another upgrade that they might get? That That's possible. So that's kind of the, the way that you have to balance it because if you bring back Wong, then where are you going to upgrade? I think it, it was pretty clear, especially with the way Luis Urias finished out the year, that he deserves pretty much everyday playing time. And he's not a shortstop. And of course, they have Willie Adames there. So he's going to play third base if that's the case, because Colton Wong is going to play second. But third base is really the only, only I would say, big spot where they're, they're going to upgrade offensively, maybe DH, I suppose. But the Brewers like having a little bit more versatility with the DH spot. So I think it's I think if you if you do bring back Wong, then you're not really going to upgrade offensively, and you're essentially going to run it back maybe without Kutch and with some prospects. But I I think that's kind of the uh, where the decision comes in or or what the decision comes down to. Yeah, and it it does have more to do than just Colton Wong's performance last year. But I think Brewers fans forget how valuable Colton Wong is and was uh, in 2022. He was the Brewer's second most valuable position player when it comes to baseball reference wins above replacements only behind Willie Adames. And again, like you said, you shared Wong had a good 2022 campaign, but when you compare his 22 campaign with his first year with the Brewers in 2021, it really wasn't that much different. Uh, his slash line in 21 was actually 272, 335, 447 versus 251, 339, 430. So overall pretty comparable. His OPS was actually higher in 2021. Um, so offensively, pretty similar player. I know he, Colton Wong was a little bit of a, I think, hotter, cold player in 2022 as he was at 21. He's a little bit more consistent in 21, which also may have some values depending how you look at that. But I think that Brewers fans are, I think, downplay the offensive production that he has. And do I think the Brewers are going to make a significant upgrade over a guy like Colton Wong's offensive production? 
when Wong's only going to cost, like you said, a, a net difference of eight and a half million. I, I just don't really see it. So I would rather take, take Colton Wong for one more year. And like you said, DH that to me, that's where I see the Brewers have the biggest uh, option to upgrade. And yeah, they've used DH spot first for, for, um, to be able to move guys, you know, in and out as they need, but doesn't mean they have to do that. And I would be in favor of them upgrading there and actually getting a true DH, a big actual, you know, middle of the lineup bat that we can actually rely on. Yeah, I think whether or not he's back to answer that original question, I would say the likelihood that he's back is less than 50%. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they pick it up. And I'm sure there are lots of internal discussions about this. It's probably one of the biggest things that they're figuring out right now. Yeah. It's it's the first domino, you know. If you think about the, what the Brewers' offseason plan is, Colton Wong's probably option is probably one of the first decisions they've got to make to then determine: Are they upgrading at DH? Are they upgrading at third base? Do they have any money to do any upgrades whatsoever? Or should they just decline Wong's option and, and, and keep the payroll lower? But you you are probably right in that the the twenty three team isn't going to look all that different from the twenty twenty two team, and and really, you know, the twenty twenty two team didn't look that much different from the twenty twenty one team that won 90 plus games and won the division. Obviously Josh Hader probably being the, the most notable player, not no longer on the roster, but we won't, uh, we won't go down that rabbit trail. So one other player here with an option uh, this offseason, Brad Boxberger, David, briefly your thoughts on Boxberger before we jump into the bullpen. I'd be very disappointed if Boxberger isn't brought back for 2023. He has a $3 million club option with a 750,000 buyout. I think that's that's a no-brainer. The Brewers tend to typically decline options when it's kind of in the middle and they're not sure which way to go, but I think this there's a there's a, a clear right move and that is to pick up the option on Brad Boxberger who had a 2.95 ERA in 64 innings and pitched a lot of high leverage innings especially once Hader was gone, but even before then he was pitching high leverage innings just maybe a little bit earlier on in the game. I think it. I think it's a no-brainer to bring back Brad Boxberger. Hundred percent agree as well. No question about it. Uh, he he certainly deserves that. Uh, actually, deserves. I would agree. Would would argue he deserves more than that. Um, so the fact that the Brewers can get him on on that that deal uh, would lend me to say absolutely. Do what you can to make that happen. Let's let's actually just jump right into grading the Brewers relievers from last year. And why don't we start right at Brad, Brad Boxberger since uh, we were just on the topic of him. Obviously, we both spoke highly of him. I gave Brad Boxberger an A for the year. What was your grade for him? I give him an A minus. I think he was he was very good. He had a few bad outings towards the end, especially in August. I think he had about a four and a half ERA in August. So I, I wouldn't quite go as far as A, but he was very solid, very good all around and, and key to the bullpen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I thought based off my expectations, I wasn't expecting him to put up solid as solid of numbers as he did last year and really was outstanding as well. So giving him an A and uh, let's, let's go with the Brewers uh, closer, Devin Williams. I gave Williams an A plus on the season. How about you? I also give him an A plus. I think especially what he did in light of the hater situation where he had like one, one hiccup really after the trade. And especially given how it seemed to impact him, he seemed very upset about the trade, but he really, he really kept on going and taking over that closer role for the first time. 
we tend to downplay the difference between being a setup man and a closer, but there is still something to be said about getting the last three outs of the game, pitching in the ninth inning instead of an eighth in a close game. So that transition, I mean, we took it for granted that he he just went and, and was able to to take it right away. I mean, we think about Hayter's transition from that multi-inning reliever to the closer role in 2020, and, and it was a shortened year, but he still had a 3.79 ERA in that shortened season. So he didn't have the most smooth transition. So I think I think with Williams, I, I think he deserves an A plus. Really, nothing more that you could have asked for from him. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That's a good point you bring up. How about Matt Bush? What was your grade for him? I'd go with a D minus for Bush. I know his his numbers weren't horrible, four point three ERA, but he wasn't the guy that they acquired. They they needed a guy who was going to be dependable, a, a Brad Boxberger type, and he wasn't that. I mean, some do, sometimes he'd be very dominant. He'd be lights out, one, two, three, and maybe even strike out the side. But that wasn't who he was in large part. Like 4.3 ERA for a late inning reliever, and you're allowing a run every other outing. And the problem with that is a lot of the time he comes in in a one-run game, or even if he doesn't, it will tie game either. If he comes in in a two-run game, now a one-run cushion is a lot, a lot, a lot worse than a, a two-run cushion. There's a big difference between that. So I think I think that even though maybe the numbers don't quite go D minus, I think given the context of it, that he deserves a a pretty low grade. Yeah, I gave Bush a D, which was the lowest grade of the bullpen outside of. Our friend Taylor Rogers, who I gave an F to. Do I need to ask what your grade was for Taylor Rogers? It would also be an F. All right. Sounds good. I have to just confirm that. On, on a positive note, how about Peter Strzelecki? I give an A to Peter Strzelecki. He, I mean, he, he, I think to me to, to get an A plus, you have to really be like outstanding, like at least an all star level type player. And I don't think he was quite that, but the expectations for him were nothing. Like nobody expected him to even be on the roster at any point this year, non-drafted free agent coming off a good minor league season, but not a prospect by any means. And he had a 2.83 ERA in 35 innings, pitched in, I would say, some medium to high leverage outings towards the end. So, I mean, he did really anything you could have asked for. I thought it was it was kind of funny. He actually hadn't pitched in a, a major league spring training game, or still hasn't. Uh, he is, he's been called up a few times for individual games to to be a, kind of that backup in case in case somebody can't get through their inning. But he never actually got into a game. He was never a non roster invite. So here he is. He's never been even seen by the major league coaching staff in person. And then he comes in and is, I mean, probably their third best reliever in. in, in 2022 uh, and he said at the end of the year I, I just hope I get into a cactus league game next spring so <laughs> I, I guess that's the hope if, if that's the goal then then he's setting expectations pretty low for himself and I think he's earned that yeah I would say I'm, I'm confident to see that 35 games like you said 2.83 ERA and a 10.3 strikeout per nine as well I, I was tempted to give him an A plus because of expectations like you said but I did reserve that for uh like you said a little bit higher uh, performance but he really really was beyond expectations. And I think he was underrated as well in the Brewers bullpen. We'll see if he can, you know, use that to continue the momentum into 
next year. Another guy who was pretty decent for the Brewers, Trevor Gott. What was your grade for him? Mine was actually not super optimistic or I, I wasn't super fond of the, the job that Trevor Gott did. I, I give him a C plus. I think he slightly exceeded what we could have expected out of him, but I don't think he was really that great. I mean, he had an ERA over four, so he was a below average reliever. So, I, I mean, I know that was ballooned a little bit by that last outing. That really was inconsequential, but he still, he, he was fine, but he's not somebody that I think you, you depend on going into next year. Yeah. I gave, I would give Trevor got a, um, a C or excuse me, a B minus uh, for his 22 campaign. Again, based off of expectations, uh, we're not super high for him. Um, and he was okay. He mean, not a guy you want in high leverage situations, but a guy you can toss in there. Um, so yeah, I guess that's what I got for Trevor got. Uh, how about the, the longtime brewer Brent Suter? Give Suter a B minus. He had a rough start to the year, but once he he got his footing this year, he was he was pretty solid. Nothing nothing spectacular about him, which is pretty appropriate given his career. But he still had a three seven eight ERA, which is which is I think slightly above average for a relief pitcher. He also led Brewers relievers in innings pitched, so that does mean something. He was able to come in when they're up six two seven two eat up the eighth and ninth innings, get in and out of there in about 12 minutes, which is greatly appreciated by, I'm sure, the entire Brewers organization and even the other team for that matter. And he did a good job in those low to medium leverage situations where it's not like the Brewers expected him to be an eighth inning guy, a really high leverage guy, but he did his job, he knew his role, and he did it pretty well. Yeah, I think that's uh, very well summed up. B minus for me on Brent Suter. How about the other southpaw in the pen, Hobie Milner, who, of course, had an excellent first half, but did fall off a bit uh, later in the season. Yeah, I gave Hobie a B. I think he still did a pretty good job. We didn't really have any expectations for Hobie Milner either. Similar to Strzelecki, he snuck his way onto the opening day roster and was expected to be just a guy, a matchup guy against lefties, maybe eat up some low leverage innings, and probably the first guy that, that gets sent to AAA or, or designated for assignment, but he wasn't that guy. He was a guy who was really depended on, especially in the first half. And yeah, he did falter a little bit down the stretch, finished with a 3.76 ERA. And actually his, his fielding independent pitching would paint a better picture of that, showing that maybe he was actually a little bit unlucky, especially if you look at the strikeout to walk ratio, he was he was quite good. So I think there's 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 some upside for Hobie Milner to be solid and perhaps even better next year with a full year under his belt now, finally getting an opportunity. And I, I think he did at least about what you could have expected out of, out of Hobie Milner. And I think he did, he did that. And then some. Yeah, absolutely. He was, he was much better than expected as well. And finally, David, Josh Hader, if you recall, he was the, uh, the left-handed closer the Brewers had with the long hair. Um, so yeah, what was your grade for him? Yeah, I almost forgot about him at this point. I, I only know him as the Padres reliever that comes out and, and fans complained about for a while, and now they love him because he's he's doing well in San Diego. And good for him. I don't I certainly want him to succeed. I'm not, not one of those people that that wants I, – I, like, I want the Brewers to win the trade, but it's not like I want the Padres to lose the trade necessarily unless it's against the Brewers, and, and then I want Hater to blow the save maybe. But 
he was really good, if you remember, until June 18th, it was, when he blew a save to the Phillies, who I guess he's now playing in the NLCS. But once that happened, then he, he hit a wall, and he he blew that save, he blew another save. Then in July, he had a couple outings, including maybe the worst save opportunity of all time. He came in with a three-run lead at AT&T Park against the struggling Giants offense and allowed six runs and three home runs. I don't know if it really gets much better than worse. He only got one out in that in that outing as well. So his, his numbers are inflated because of those couple blowout, blow up outings that he had before the trade. So I gave him a C plus. I thought he, he I mean, he would have been an A plus if we graded him at the end of June. But because of those outings in July where he he really cost the Brewers a couple of games. I think that when you're a closer, there's not much room for for error. And so because of those couple bad outings, his grade really dropped significantly. Yeah, I actually dropped Hader um, even further down to a C minus purely based off of expectations. I'm a big believer of basing these more so off of expectations than anything else. And I, I mean, due to his success, due to his own his own success, the expectations were sky high for him entering the season. So like you said, he was reaching those and then some leading up to the wall, but really struggled um, at, at the end of his Brewers career, which is unfortunate. Hate to see him go out that way. Um, I don't know. I would be curious, you know, I feel like maybe, I don't know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, who knows, we'll probably be be old and uh, sitting on the couch and hopefully, who knows, they'll uh, make a Brewers documentary after the Brewers win a World Series here in the next couple of years. And we'll get to, to hear David Stearns uh, maybe talk about the the hater trade and why or how I should say the the uh, performance of hater and maybe Rogers how that played into the trade because I'd be really curious if Josh Hader continues to be dominant do the Brewers still trade him maybe maybe the Brewers saw something in Hader and thought that he wasn't going to continue to have the success he had and they thought now was actually a good time to sell maybe not uh, but I'm really would be really curious uh, to to see what the Brewers thoughts were. Um, regarding haters' performance and subsequent trade because they came, you know, so close together. I was just remembering a couple days ago back to a game I was at soon before the trade. It was, it was probably haters' maybe second, third, last outing with the Brewers. And he did, he did lock down the save that day. I don't remember exactly what happened in the outing, but I remember watching it. I had, I had kind of the perfect view. I was sitting in maybe about the first section a field outfield on the first base side and watching Hader. And I like, I, I look at my friend and I say, like, I can tell what pitch Hader is throwing every time he throws it. Like his, his, I, I don't know what exactly it was, but his arm path seemed a little bit different on his slider than it did on his fastball. And for like six straight pitches, I was like fastball slider. And I got it every time. And I mean, I've been around the game a lot, but I'm I'm certainly nowhere close to 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 what some of the some of the the analysts, some of the coaches, the other the, the the major league players, the level that they're at, especially in in figuring out when players are tipping pitches. And I don't know if that's something that was distinguishable when you're in the box because the angle that I was at was looking at him straight on, so that when he when he throws, his chest is facing me. Of course, the hitter doesn't have that view, and there's no time to to yell it out as you're as as he's in his windup and about to throw the pitch, but I thought it was interesting when I was remembering that because I'd forgotten about that, and that was, I think I think it was it was either maybe right before his couple blow up outings or maybe 
in the midst of it. And I didn't think too much of it, but I was thinking back to it and thinking about how I wonder if that had anything to do with his struggles. It's a fair question. I mean, certainly uh, that's something that we've seen in the game as well. The, the you know, tipping pitches uh, or I guess even stealing signs, but stealing signs obviously is different than being able to gather what pitch is coming as a hitter uh, when you're in the box. But there was obviously also the personal issues with Josh Hader um, as well around that time. And I think that that, you know, we, we forget that these are people too. And so I think that that um, also likely plays into it um, as well. So that wraps up the, the grades for the Brewers bullpen, kind of a, I guess a little bit of a downer, but uh, we've of course had some bright spots in there. Um, interesting to see what, what kind of year Devin Williams, if he can continue the success he has and same with, you know, guys like Strzelecki and Boxberger as well. So let's move into our final segment of the day. It is our fact or fiction. And before I give our, our first one of five today, I'll look back at last week's uh, fact or fiction that we asked our Twitter followers their thoughts on. Uh, David, our fact or fiction for that was Christian Yelich is an average outfielder. And 71% of our Twitter followers said that was a fact. So Brewers fans are accepting uh, that that it is uh, it is official. Uh, good news, I, I don't have the, the my Yelich jersey on today, so that's good. Um, but uh, Brewers fans, I guess, have accepted today that uh, Yelich is an average outfielder. I guess, does that surprise you by any means? Not really, after watching him for a full year. Well, two and a half years, I guess, yeah. of, of this production. I, I think if you pulled, if you pulled like White Sox fans or, or Twins fans or the average MLB fan, I think that the, the response might have been a little bit different. But but polling Brewer fans who watched him all the time, it's not like his play was very inspiring. Sure, yeah. Well, and, and his offense, his his offensive production. When you look at like, you know, OPS or OPS plus compared to watching him in a game, those are different things too. Because Christian Yelich walks a lot. Uh, okay, that, that that when you go to a game and you see Christian Yelich walk twice, that doesn't mean, man, Yelich just a monster at the plate. Like, like he was mm-hmm. one for three with two walks and a, and a base hit uh, a hard ground ball that, that snuck through the shift. Like, like that was his night. So, I mean, that, that, that matters um, versus the mm-hmm. guy who, I don't know, even think like Kyle Schwarber who just tears the ball, tears the cover off the ball well, once in a while, more than once in a while. Uh, but when he hits the ball, he kills the ball at a long ways. So it, I think mm-hmm. you saying his offense isn't inspiring is a, I would agree. Um, it, it's also, impacts the way you view how dominant a hitter is offensively. And, and I think that plays into it. So anyways, um, after we go through our first, our, our five here today, I'll ask you which, uh, which one we'll have to pull out our followers to this week here, but our number one fact or fiction, which again, uh, for those of you just joining us, this podcast, basically I fire off a statement to David and David will give me fact or fiction and uh, then throw it back to me. So David, number one, Keston will start at DH in 2023. I would say that is a if I if I have to pick one or the other I would say fact but I think it's it's more of like a a 60% fact. Is that is that allowed? <laughs> no, it's absolutely not. I, I see you're still struggling to understand that you do actually have to pick fact or fiction that is oh. that is the uh, the meaning of the segment but I I would agree with you. I'm going to go fact. I I'm hopeful the Brewers add a, a big bat DH like I talked about and, and bring back Colton Wong, but I'm not super optimistic they do bring back a DH that that starts in front of Kira on opening day. 
it it is interesting. We kind of both settled in the same place, but for different reasons. You you think that there's a a more than fifty percent chance that they don't add anyone at DH. I think there's a there's a a very high chance of that. But I think that the more of the sixty percent that I get comes from Keston playing maybe more than half the time, but they shuffle guys through that that spot a lot. So maybe Keston plays a hundred games next year and 75 come at the DH spot, but then the other roughly half of the games are occupied by Christian Yelich DHing. Maybe they, they put Renfro there. Maybe they put Willie Adames there, Luis Urias. So I would say that's more where the, uh, the, the most mostly fact comes in. <laughs> um, well, we're still yeah, working on you, on you understanding this, the segment. <laughs> I guess so. I, I remember in one of my social studies class, we were watching trials from, or uh, yeah, coverage from the Trump impeachment trial, and it was the same lawyer who did uh, the Clinton impeachment trial, and he made state a statement back in the the late '90s, and then he made a statement in 2020 that contradicted each other. And someone asked, "Well, were you wrong then, or are you wrong now? Because they can't be can't both be true because." they contradicted each other and he said well i wasn't wrong then i'm just more right now so perhaps it's it's not that it's not a not a fact or not a fiction it's just less fiction or less fact <laughs> or, or more fact or more fiction and if and if your brain hurts by now you're not alone because i'm I, i'm already there so i i in 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 light of that i better just go to number two which is regarding the brewers bullpen a couple of lower leverage arms. The David, the Brewers should hold on to Brett Suter, Hobie Milner, and Trevor Gott. I, I I just did a bad job, I guess, of of designing some of these factor fictions. I would say if if it's either fact or fiction, again, I'd go fact because I would like them. But I would say fact they should hold on to Suter. Fact they should hold on to Hobie. But fiction in that they should hold on to Trevor Gott. Okay, I'm going to say fact on Brewer should hold on to those three guys. None are, none are exactly uh, very sexy relievers, but they're good guys to have in the mix. And I don't see the Brewers upgrading significantly above those three. Number three is regarding David Stearns. David Stearns will be back with the Brewers for 2023. That one I think is a fact. I, I think it's pretty unlikely that he goes to the Mets with them on the heels of their their 101 win season. I agree. I'm going to say fact. I expect him to be back, and I hope that he is as well, even though I know there's been some hate. I'm, I'm still overall a fan of, of Stern, so hopefully he'll be back. Number four, Eric Lauer and Adrian uh, – excuse me, Eric, yeah, Eric Lauer and Adrian Hauser will be Brewers in 2023. I think that's a fact. I think – if they're going to trade from their major league roster or or among their their general core of players, I think Lauer and Hauser are among the more likely players to be traded. But I, I still expect them to be back in an opening or back in the uniform on opening day. Especially Stearns expressed the desire to have more pitching depth. He said that was a big issue last year. They they had pretty much the starters stay healthy the whole year, and they took that for granted. They they just kind of assumed that that was going to happen again and. They sure they had Aaron Ashby, they had Ethan Small who made a couple starts, but then Jason Alexander. I mean, he's not the answer to be a starter for more than one or two starts at a time. They had they had a couple bullpen days. They had Chichi Gonzalez make a couple starts. So 
I mean, I know the Chichi Gonzalez era was was a good one. Uh, he did he did get to pitch in those powder blue City Connect uniforms. I, I honestly, when I when I see you wearing the the City Connect jerseys, Chichi Gonzalez is the first person <laughs> I think of because I picture watching uh watching the Brewers play the Blue Jays back in in June. I think it was. I was out playing summer ball and we were on a rain delay, and one of my teammates is a Blue Jays fan. So I remember watching that game when when Chichi, I think he allowed a three run shot in the first, and then then Jose Barrios allowed like a three spot and then a, a four spot or something, and the Brewers chased him early and and won pretty easily. But but otherwise, well, I guess to me the Chichi Gonzalez era is memorable, but but maybe to most fans it it isn't. So point is they need more pitching depth. I think Lauer and Hauser will return. Yeah. I would generally agree with with all that as well. And to think that the Brewers would trade Eric Lauer, I think the Brewers would have to be getting back a pretty decent return for a young left-handed starting pitcher, who, by the way, is the only left-handed starter in the Brewers rotation, with some upside and with some control. Uh, of course, we all know young, controllable talent, favorite word around the organization. So Lauer fits that build still at this point. Hauser, not so much, but I don't see that Hauser would have a ton of value in a trade anyways. So I would agree he's a better depth guy to hold on to. So I would say fact to that. And number five, our final one of the day, the Brewers will make a big splash this offseason. I got to go with fiction. I mean, the Brewers haven't done this in five years now. This is since 2018 when they when they acquired both Yelich and Kane. Think about that. How many, how many big offseason splashes has Stearns made in terms of contributing to their chances of winning in that current window he's made two really and they happened within four hours of each other which i mean is made january 25th of 2018 an amazing day but has made the other like <laughs> what 800 days of off season not very fun so i would i would say fiction i think it's unlikely that's not really the brewer's way and they certainly could i mean if they want to sign Nolan Arenado after he presumably opts out of his contract. I will be all for it, even if it ends up being an overpay, but I don't think that's likely. Yeah. Which uh, by the way, I, I was seeing the, uh, well, it was a game against the Phillies when the wheels fell off and the, and the Cardinals blew the game. I can't remember if that was game one or two. I know it was at home. Uh, I want to say it was game one, but I, I saw a rare mm-hmm. game one. I saw a rare Nolan Arenado error. And I was just like shocked to even even see that. Um, but anyways, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly I would be in favor of the Brewers making a big acquisition this offseason. But I, I'm not even necessarily asking the Brewers to do that. Um, I think the Brewers are – they have the assets that they could. If you think about the Brewers' talent pool that are, you know, prospects that are getting close to major league ready, that there's certainly some value to be had in the trio of outfield prospects um, I won't won't even mention Jackson Churio. Um, more Brewers fans might might lose their minds, uh, including a him his word his name I should say and uh, trade in the same sentence. But the Brewers have some prospects they could trade if they wanted to. I'm not suggesting the Brewers trade Churio, obviously, but um, I don't think the Brewers will make a big acquisition off this offseason, But certainly wouldn't be against it. So David, what's uh, of the five factor fiction? Uh, what are we going to pose to our listeners this week? Let's suppose the uh, the Brewers will make a big acquisition this offseason. I want to I want to hear if any Brewers have Brewers fans have 
some good ideas on who might be a brewer this uh this off season and and I guess the one thing we should talk about I mean we don't have to put it in the poll is what constitutes a big acquisition because like I don't know on I feel like it gets overblown by the uh the national writers because they're really excited to to report a trade but it'll it'll be like the Brewers and Giants have agreed on a significant deal. I remember this happening. I think it was. I think it was this year. Yep. And we're like, um, we're like, oh yay! Like Carlos Rodon, maybe, maybe they got Tyler Rogers, maybe they got, I, I don't know, someone, someone good. You know, Mikey Stremski, someone, someone good. And and then it was Trevor Rosenthal. And you know, so maybe. Maybe Robert Murray, who I think it was him who reported it, said it was it would be a big acquisition, uh, but that is not the definition that we're gonna we're gonna assume. I would say someone who's someone who's at least close to an all star level. I think maybe you could agree on that. Yeah, I think that's a, a fair statement. And you mentioned you know the Brewers not really making a big splash in acquiring Yelich and Kane, Yasmani Grandal, Mike Mustakis kind of I guess they're kind of fringe big uh-huh. acquisitions like yeah. I guess if if you told me the Brewers acquired a uh, a Mike Moustakis who actually was an all-star in 2019 with the mm-hmm. Brewers um and Grandal as well um was Grandal an all-star am I remembering that correctly in in 2019 yeah yeah he was okay that's what I thought yeah that's what I thought so yeah both both Moustakis and Grandal all-stars and I, I would say those those would be significant addition those those types of players at that point in their career um, but to say Trevor Rosenthal is a, a big acquisition, no, um, I don't, I would not, uh, characterize him as that. So I guess, uh, that'll be the, our very loose, um, rules for what we'll consider a big acquisition. Um, the Brewers have the opportunity to make. So any final thoughts on the Brewers offseason, David, before uh, we jump back to our, um, trivia question of the day and random player of the day. We'll talk, we'll talk some more in some future weeks. About it, we'll we'll kind of simultaneously recap the year as we preview the off season, like we did today with with grading a position group, but also looking at at free agents and and how the Brewers might approach that. But uh, I'm I'm interested to see if the Brewers are more interested in shoring up their holes. I feel like in recent years the Brewers weren't really interested in in shoring up their holes so much as they thought. Well, if we just add more players on, like the the expected win value is going to increase so why don't we just do that but then we saw like this year i was looking at their 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 stats by position group and catchers had a 650 ops for the brewers this year second baseman i think or, or third baseman had a 656 ops center fielders had like a 610 ops something like that it, it, they were all below 660 i know and I mean that those are offensive liabilities. If you have one position that that's the case, okay, you can get away with that, especially if you have maybe a good defensive player there, especially at catcher or center fielder. But I'm interested to see if the Brewers maybe are more interested in shoring up their holes than they have been in previous years. Yeah, that's a good point. That's certainly a good point. So, all right. So today for our trivia question, we're gonna do a name this player. So as you will recall, uh, we tried to run this, but David kind of ruined it by uh, by getting. Trevor got purely based off of his height and weight, which is a little bit strange um, on our previous episode. So we're going to try it birthday. again. Oh, and his birthday. Sorry. That's right. Okay. Not, not, not weird at all. Everybody should know that. 
Trevor got no. based off his birthday height and weight. So we'll make it, I, I would say I'd make it a little bit harder, but I'm not exactly sure how I could. So how this will work, I'm going to actually switch it up a little bit so that for all of us normal people who don't know Trevor got based off of that information, I'm going to have David make a guess at the end of each of the five clues. And then um, I will actually let him know if he got it right at the end. So I'll let him make his guess on the first clue, uh, regardless of whether it's right or wrong, I'll give the next clue so that uh, everybody who's following along, and like I said, is a little bit more normal, uh, won't get ruined if David does uh, pull off another miracle here. So today's today's name of this player is actually a former player. And your first clue, David, is that this player played for the Brewers from 1976 to 1985. So a pretty long tenure with the crew in the 70s and 80s. David, your guess on this player. Jim Slayton. Okay, so guess number one, Jim Slayton. Our second clue, this player had a career win-loss of 100 wins, 83 losses with a 4.01 ERA and a 17.3 baseball wins above replacement. So is that with the Brewers or career? Like career total, total. Okay. Um, well, then it's not Jim Slayton. Um, Mike Caldwell. That's my guess. Okay. So Mike Caldwell, guess number two. Uh, clue number three. Uh, obviously, you're aware that it's a pitcher. I've you probably have gathered that. Uh, so this this pitcher wore number thirty for the Brewers. He had sixteen wins in 1980. And was part of, of course, the 82 campaign uh, in a more or lesser role um, as a pitcher in that 82 team. I, I'm going to go with Moose Haas. Okay. And our fourth and final, we're going to go with four this time here. Our fourth and final clue is his first name rhymes with a wild animal. I mean, his Rhymed first name with is a, a wild animal. animal? <laughs> his first name is a wild, is the name of oh, a wild animal. Okay. <laughs> hmm. I don't, I don't know if, if are there, there been any other brewers that are named or have, have names that are synonymous with wild animals other than Moose Haas? El Caballo. True. I mean, that's a nickname, I guess. We don't call him Close Caballo enough. Lee. Close enough. Close enough. Um, so, with, with that uh, difficult fourth clue, in case you were not aware, the answer to today's name this player is Moose Haas. Brewers, a right-handed pitcher, like I said, from 1976 to 1985. Didn't realize that he had lot, that long of a tenure with the Brewers. Uh, I was aware of his time on the 82 team. Uh, in 1982, he put up a 11-8 win-loss across 193 innings with a 4.47 ERA. Uh, actually had a couple of decent years in 1980 through over 250 innings with a 3.1 ERA. That was the year that he had 16 wins. He also had 15 losses. Um, that year he went 16 and 15 with a 3.1 ERA and 250 innings. Not a bad, not a bad year. Uh, probably a more underrated a brewer, I would say, uh, in, in franchise history. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, actually I did I, just, huh? I think I'm, I think I'm more proud of the fact that you didn't get it on the first clue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is good. Well, well, once I thought I thought I had it on on Slayton because I thought that because based on the research that I knew you were doing ahead of time, I thought okay, the the years line up and he's he's probably 
probably right in that like do you want to get a player that's that's notable but you don't want to get you know robin yount so i thought i might have had it but but yeah you got it on three or i got it on three the what i was what i was going to say was that the I, I was thinking about the wild animal thing and buck martinez he is a blue jays broadcaster now but he was a brewers catcher for a few years in the 70s late 70s and um, with buck being a wild animal he would have fit the description too although he was a catcher so he would not fit go. the description of a pitcher that's true that's true and and moose haas like i said pitched from 76 to 85 with the brewers jim slayton pitched with the brewers uh, from 71 to 77 and then spent a year in detroit in 78 and then returned to milwaukee from 79 to 83 so similar similar time period also obviously a pitcher also freakishly i just realized both pitchers ended with a career wins above replacement of exactly 17.3 with a 4.01 wow. era uh moose haas and jim slayton a 4.03 era so a slight difference but i i guess uh, i would i would constitute that as a pretty good guess i guess yeah pretty close so uh I guess it's it's good for the uh, good for the the brand that I didn't get it right right away. Listeners good. might think right. I'm cheating. Yeah, right. I know. Honestly, the integrity of the of the name this player might be at question. So, yeah. David, close us out here today with a a fun random player of the day. Well, with the with the division series going on right now, I wanted to highlight the best division series player in franchise history. Niger Morgan, I don't even know what he did the rest of that division series, but he hit the single, so that's really all that matters. And Morgan, in 2011, hit 304, 357 on base, 421 slugging, and nobody really cares, to be honest, that he hit 304. I guess really the only thing that matters was he hit well enough to be in that spot in the postseason. So, I mean, he was he had a, he had a very good year in 2011. 2012, not so much. Hit just 239 with really no power, but nobody really cared at that point, I guess, because everyone was just happy about the walk-off single in 2011. It looks like he started in in games one, two, three, and five in the NLDS that year, and he went 0 for four, then one for five, 0 for four, two for five in that D-backs game. He also scored a run earlier in the game. He had hit a double. To be honest, I don't even remember when that happened, but. He is the uh, the best in the best uh, fr- in franchise history, probably in the division series. Of course, has um, a top two hit in franchise history. There was this big debate going on on uh, on our Twitter when I said that he had the biggest hit in franchise history, and and of course I wasn't around back in in 1982, but many who were say no. Cecil Cooper's go ahead single in Game Five of the NLCS was was more consequential and. I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but I, uh, I of course, was not around to see that. So Niger Morgan is today's random player of the day um, for his his hit in the NLDS. Uh, and so our, our stat of the day um, today, this one, I guess it really could have qualified under the meaningless. It, it in some ways has meaning, in some ways it doesn't. Jake Cousins, the Brewers reliever, who we saw only a little bit of this year, he had a 2.7 ERA in 2021, and in 2022, he also had a 2.7 ERA. So he's got the Chris Davis theme going, kind of similar to the Jim Slayton, Moose Haas comparison, the, the freakishly similar stats. 
Jake Cousins, 2.7 ERA in both of his major league seasons. Brandon Woodruff also repeated his 2020 ERA with another 3.05 ERA season. That one not quite as impressive as Cousins, but Cousins is only two years off from the Chris Davis career trajectory with four straight seasons that he had of a 247 batting average. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really looking forward to Craig Council pulling him after like a third of an inning, even though that wouldn't even be possible, just to keep the 2.47 ERA, just like uh, I believe it was Bob Melvin at the time did with Chris Davis to, to lock in that 247 average four years was- in a row. Yeah, one of the one of the greatest decisions in in managerial history. I'd love to I'd love to see an autograph baseball by Chris Davis with like an inscription like four time two forty seven batting average. <laughs> that's got to be that's got to be a thing um, because that just only happens in baseball. Like what other what other sport would would something so random like that both be both happen and also be so like joyfully celebrated by fans as well. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the quirkiest stat. Uh, I don't know if I can say that. The quirkiest stat or most improbable stat ever. Over a four over over four seasons, it might be. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, there's yeah. there's definitely been some crazy ones, but but it is uh, it is pretty funny to see to see that. So with that, we will wrap up and close out. Brewers, of course, nowhere to be seen, unfortunately, in the playoffs. But we do have some fun playoff baseball. Padres, Phillies and um, in the National League. And then, of course, we'll see the Astros playing the winner of Yankees Guardians. Should be a good one. And I'm excited to continue to go through and uh, talk about the Brewers' offseason plans 2023, uh, hopefully put 22 in the rearview mirror. But as always, we will have you covered here at The Barrel. And, uh, again, go check out our YouTube channel, Twitter, uh, Twitter at The Barrel MKE. And we'll be back next week for another podcast episode again we'll be starting to do some video podcasts love to hear feedback um, and uh, appreciate all of you listening and as always i will close out this is peter and david go signing off go brewers listening to the barrel banter we'd appreciate it if you leave a comment or review so we can get the word out about our show to hear more find us on youtube at the barrel or on twitter at the barrel mke we look forward to connecting with you next time